Welcome back to Blurred on the Street, a podcast featuring three Black and Indigenous women who cover everything from books, movies, TV shows, and games, just to name a few. I'm Jillian, and I'll be your host for this episode, and today we're joined by Cool Colas. So, to introduce our guest, Cool Colas, also known as the pro-Black Blurred King, is an author, comic, and board game, game creator, and Black media analyst. He is a native of Oak Park, Michigan, and stands for creating a brand that empowers Blacks in in the entertainment media realm. He is the owner of Cool Colas LLC, has written one book called Rem Realm, Curse of a Billionaire, thus far, and establishes himself as an enthusiast of comics, games, and other relevant forms of blurred culture. So, please tell us about yourself a little bit more and kind of like, the things that you do uh, and how you got into this. Most definitely. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And um, as far as myself, I um, do a lot of stuff on social media to try to um, talk a lot about the blurred scene. So that can look like a lot of different things. That can be uh, us talking about games, us talking about um, television shows, us talking about comics, that type of thing. Specifically, I focus on uh, comics more than anything else because I got into a lot of like comic stuff within the last maybe like 10 years or so. And I've kind of been analyzing and looking at some of the ways that these stories are being told. And I, for me, I've always had a lot of pro-Black values as well, too. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to always find a way where I could try to take these like blurred things, these blurred interests that I had and combine it with these pro-Black values that I had. And so Mm -hmm. my thought process was to kind of look at the scene of the comic television shows and movies and things like that that people typically enjoy. And what are some of the issues that I see as it relates to Black people specifically? So I do a lot of Black media analyst type of stuff on social media. But outside of that, my main goal is to show all these things that are going on in these issues and some good things as well, too, that are going on in the scene that we see today. And then to say, hey, I'm creating a product that puts Black people on the map in a way that is respectful in the way that we deserve in the comic scene, in the book scene, and like I said, with games as well, too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my book is called Rim Realm Curse of a Billionaire. It is the first of a trilogy of Mm. real books that I'm going to be writing. And so the idea around this book is it's about dreams. And the idea is you have this character who's a billionaire and he does a bunch of, you know, not cool stuff to a lot of his workers. And what it ends up resulting in is uh, one of his workers basically um, getting fired and and he ends up getting this curse put on him and uh, based off of like, you know, revenge, I guess. And mm-hmm. so um, this uh, this curse that's put on him is called the curse of dreams. And so this guy, he has these really intense dreams that are almost like puzzles or mazes. Mm-hmm. And so he has three different types of dreams throughout the book. He has regular dreams, which are like puzzles. If he doesn't figure it out, he's got to wake up and start over again. So he'll fall asleep, oh, okay. have the dream, you have to wake up and start over again if he doesn't get it right. He has, oh, okay. um, he has fantasies, which are like, basically these um dreams that dream types that give him a, a power up to try to help in his his dreams and his nightmares and then he has nightmares which are like these intense versions of dreams where 
it's a life or death type of thing. Some bad happens to him in that nightmare. It happens to him in real life. So the book is about that. There's a lot of like undertones even in this book as well, too, uh, when it comes to like um, race and things like that, that I put in the book and it's not in your face, but as you read and right. kind of see, you'll, you'll kind of see some of the messages that I have in there. Right, right. I mean, regular racism is not always right in your face, even though mm-hmm. it is. Absolutely. Yeah, so that makes sense. Where can we find your book? So you can find it on Amazon. I have it on Amazon right now. I have an ebook version of it and I have a paperback version of it. And then you can also get it for me directly as well, too. Nice. Okay. Definitely Mm going to send you a no asking where I can get that. Mm -hmm. Definitely want to read that. Okay. Definitely. (laughs) Right. So why don't we get into kind of our main topic of discussion? Now I've got a headline that I wanted to discuss um, about the developers from Final Fantasy 16 that's coming out soon. Um, and it was a interview by IGN and um, there it was an exclusive interview um, titled the Final Fantasy 16 developers open up about Game of Thrones comparison, side quests and representation. Mm-hmm. And the rep- Presentation part was um, kind of snuck in there in the middle, but I'll read the quote from the article and then we can get to discussing because I think you're going to be the perfect person to kind of discuss, you know, representation and seeing ourselves on screen and in media. Uh, So I'm really excited to get this started. So why don't I just start by reading. So the question that IGN posed was, in regards to diversity in the game, can we expect to see Black characters in Final Fantasy 16 or people of color, non-white characters in general? To clarify a bit more, there's been discussion around the trailers to date featuring mostly white characters, and I wanted to get clarity on whether we can expect the final game to be more diverse. Now, uh, Naoki Yoshida, one of the producers, took this question on, and he says, This is a difficult question, but not one that was unexpected, seeing as diversity in entertainment media has become a much-discussed topic as of late. The answer I have, however, may end up being disappointing to some, depending on individual expectations. Our design concept from the earliest stages of development has always heavily featured medieval Europe, incorporating historical, cultural, political, and anthropological standards that were prevalent at the time. When deciding on a setting that was best suited to the story we wanted to tell, the story of a land beset by the blight, we felt that rather than create something on a global scale, it was necessary to limit the scope to a single land mass, one geographically and culturally isolated from the rest of the world in an age without airplanes, television, or telephones. And he goes on to say, due to the underlying geographical, technological, and geopolitical constraints of this setting, Ballisthea, I guess that's the world's name, never was never going to realistically be as diverse as say a modern day earth or even final fantasy um, 14 that has an entire planet and moon worth of nations races and cultures at its disposal the isolated nature of this realm however does not end up playing a large part 
in the story and is one of the reasons Valisthea's fate is tied to the rest of the world. Ultimately, we felt that while incorporating ethnic diversity into Valisthea was important, an over-incorporation into this single corner of a much larger world could end up causing a violation of those narrative boundaries we originally set for ourselves. The story we are telling is fantasy, yes, but it is also rooted in reality. Immediate thoughts on that. I'll start with you. Hmm. Okay, so I want to say this and... Um, it, I apologize in advance if this is lengthy because I have four big points. Okay, cool. Yeah. I have four. Big, yeah, definitely. I have four big points that I want to hit today with mm-hmm. the article because I actually read it in advance. And then mm-hmm. when you read it, it actually gave me a couple more things to think about. So there's a lot to unpack here, mm-hmm. but I think it all sums to something that's very, very simple. And I'm going to start with point number one because it's the most important. Mm-hmm. Whenever people speak about diversity, no matter who it is, it's always a trick bag. It is literally always a trick bag. In my eyes, I, I, I see it as a thing where I have to kind of just shake my head and kind of just mm-hmm. throw my hands up whenever I hear people talk about it. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. Mm-hmm. Diversity, and this is going to probably shock a lot of people that I'm saying this, is mm-hmm. very, very much overrated. It is very, very, very much overrated. And I'm going to explain why. Diversity for Black folks in any form of entertainment is a trick bag because what Black people don't do is they don't explicitly define what they're looking for. Because a lot of times what they try to do is they try to be inclusive of every single person who they want to see as far as diversity goes. So what they'll do is they'll say, hey, it needs to be Black people. And then they'll say people of color, or they might just say people of color in general, as if to group themselves within that. Now, what happens with this is uh, when you use the word diversity, it gives whoever that creator is, which is generally like most of the time it's a white person. Mm -hmm. um, It gives them the opportunity to put in all types of people who are um, in in addition or just excludes black people. So now you got Hispanics because that's part of diversity. Mm -hmm. Being white and LGBT is part of diversity. Being Hispanic is part of diversity. Being Asian is part of, you know, this whole diversity thing. Mm -hmm. So you may get a lot of like, even you'll see this in TV shows a lot. You'll see that there is um, a bunch of white characters, right? And you'll see one black character that might be thrown in and you'll see maybe an Asian character or maybe a a character who is Middle Eastern or Arabic, or you'll see a character who Mm -hmm. is um, um, a white Hispanic. And then you'll see them thrown together and and then, you know, a lot of these creators can then go back and say, hey, there's your diversity right there. I got one black person, got one Hispanic person, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that I got like seven other white people. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the the point I'm trying to make, this is my first point, is that Mm -hmm. as black people, it's important that we be intentional about advocating for ourselves because, Mm -hmm. yeah, us being, because if you think about like us advocating for ourselves, it's because we've been mistreated, used, Mm -hmm. abused, disrespected, and appropriated in a lot of these things that we enjoy, these types of, you know, media that we enjoy. And it's the same reason why we um, should refuse to just, to not say, to include other people in our own struggles. We should be able to say that this is something that we need for us. So my Mm -hmm. point is diversity really opens the gateway for appropriation 
and manipulation that okay. ends up benefiting everyone except black folks at the end of the day. And, we, and you know, we have to, we, we've got to start speaking up for ourselves in our community when mm -hmm. we know that nobody else is really going to speak up for us. So that's my first point I wanted to highlight. Now, I want to move to my second point that um, okay. based off of everything that you told me. Mm -hmm. We have to stop begging white folks and other non-Black creators to represent us properly in um, their um, in their backyard, to be honest with you, especially yeah. given the anti-Black history that's in a lot of these cultures and I that see. they've exhibited um, back in the day and that they still exhibit right now. Right. So we have to uplift and support Black creators who yeah. are doing and creating the things that we like, creating the comics we like, mm -hmm. creating the yeah. video games. In this case, that's video right. games. In this case, mm -hmm. I actually yeah. have a I have a friend, and um, he's a, a black creator, and he's actually in the in the video game scene. And he's trying to create more black characters in video games, and I mm -hmm. see what he's doing. And every chance I get, I try to you know speak about. It. I don't want to say his name per se right now yeah, because yeah, because yeah, yeah. like he's got some other stuff going on, and I don't know if he wants that right now. But I try to right. speak about that because um, it's important that we see. Black creatives who are in these types of um, scenes, like in the video game scene, in the comic mm -hmm. scene, in the movie scene, um, and want to create Black characters, but also have a code of conduct that they're willing to um, try to basically uh, continue to, to use and, and to uphold as they're creating these characters. And I can get into what that looks like a little bit later, but the point mm -hmm. I'm trying to make is we need Black people who are on code who are going to create these things instead of hoping that white folks are going to do that for us when they have proven time and time again that they don't care to do that. White and non and non-black, I want to say. White mm -hmm. and non-black. Mm -hmm. My third point I want to make here is, and I'm just going to be totally candid when I say this. Um, okay. this um the 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 guy um how do you say his name? Nai Nayaki, is that how you say his name? Uh, Naoki Yoshida. That's right. Um, he's doing a lot of explaining. He's doing a whole lot of explaining. Yeah, it's a bit of a word salad. Yeah, and he, I don't like the fact that he used the medieval European excuse as right. a way to justify not representing Black folks. Right, and it's I'm not like we hadn't been invented yet or something. Exactly, exactly. And, yeah. and, you, and I'd even go even further than that. Because mm -hmm. if you look at the history of um just medieval history in general in Europe mm -hmm. yeah. black folks the more specifically had a very yeah. big influence in medieval culture I mean yes, they did. you know what I mean the the Moors yeah. they, they brought over mathematics they brought over mm -hmm. science they taught yeah. them the grooming practices they taught yeah. them how to eat right they did all types of things so the Moors and black folks have been very yeah. very present within mid medieval culture so it's almost yeah. as if he's pretending like there is not this existence of black folks right. in that culture. And I, right. and I and think that's, that's totally not wrong. Not true. Yeah. No, and also, um, you know, Shakespeare wrote a whole play about Othello the Moor. So, yep. You know, there you go. And, um, you know, I would also challenge him by saying this if mm -hmm. what he's saying is true, consider the idea that if we're talking about historical accuracy and okay. if we're talking about terrain accuracy, Consider the idea that every time you see an anime, really very, even very popular animes, mm -hmm. you see Dragon Ball Z, you see Naruto, you see all these different like animes that people know about. Yeah. 
And most of the time, the main character and many of the characters in there are white or white looking. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about historical context, why are they in a scene that typically is one that you would see in an Asian culture like Japan mm. or, or somewhere like that? Yeah. Because to, to me, that is a, a level of hypocrisy that is being crowbarred in to make an excuse mm -hmm. for why that is not being done. Because right. what, it, what it really highlights, and this is what a lot of people aren't really seeing, is that there is a lot of... Um, not just anti-black, but like a, a more of a, a putting white supremacy and putting like mm. whiteness on a pedestal in a lot of Asian cultures. Just that's paler the, skin. You yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's why you see a lot of um, white folks in a lot of these um, different like anime right. uh, cartoons that that people watch is because yeah. they have put it on a pedestal. So that's why they're okay with even putting them in their culture um, right. you know, to a point where it doesn't look accurate. But my point is, is that you're talking about cultural, like historical and, ter mm -hmm. and terrain related accuracy. But then you go into your actual like um, creations, like in anime and things like that. And you don't even culturally, you know what I mean? The terrain, the, histo the history, all that is not even accurate because you got white folks in Japanese related kind of like scenes. So right. that's, yeah. that's the next it's, point of him. Especially it's uh, Japan and some other nations are quite uh, homogenous. Not saying nobody of different colors exist but um you know definitely not all white passing you know in out in their world even mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely the other thing i would say too is and i want to make an analogy real quick for my third okay mm -hmm. the analogy that i want to make is Think about the whole reparation scene. I'm not sure what okay. your alignment is on all that, but this is one thing mm -hmm. I just want to kind of put out there. Okay. When it comes to Blacks and reparations, mm -hmm. there it's, it's obvious that there's a debt that's owed to Black folks. I mean, that's very, mm -hmm. very obvious, what, no matter who wants to deny it. Right. If, if there's a debt that's owed, you have to ask yourself, why hasn't it been paid? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, what a lot of people who are um, um, like white or just don't agree with reparations, even if they're not white, what they do is they get to explain and they get to try to make in these excuses as to why it can't be paid out. Oh, it can't be paid out because black people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It can't be um, paid out because, well, uh, it, education is a form of reparations and integration mm -hmm. is a, like all these little things are forms of reparations. So you get all these little excuses or free the free handout excuse. But then right. nobody sits there and they look at communities like, for example, the um, like you think about like the, the Native Americans and they got, you know, they get checks and nobody like does that level of scrutiny. The point I'm trying to make is that even in this instance, when we talk about a black character, that there's a lot of scrutiny and a lot of explaining that goes on when someone mm -hmm. wants to kind of speak and uplift about why black people are not being treated right. So in this type of arena, I look at it and I say, this is very similar to the reparations thing, because look, they're saying, hey, we can't have black people because, well, it makes sense. They're not in the medieval time. They're not this. They're not that. But right. when it comes to white folks, they can just put them and project them into like anything. And that's why they end up appropriating mm, our culture the way they do. Yep. Yep. I have one more point. Of course. Go ahead. Yep. And my final point is um, to... Um, to some extent, I think that a lot of this is done because there's this business aspect. You know, there's this idea of keeping up with the times. 
And there's right. this idea of if someone who is um, this like Asian creator, if someone, if, if, if he wants to be able to keep up with the, the trends of what people like and what people want to see, he's going to say the politically correct thing. So he may like throw in a little bit here and there, but for the most part, he's going to say what he needs to say in order to be able to appease a crowd of people. And as long as people yeah. continue to keep buying it, he's going to continue to keep putting out the, the same thing over and over again. Right. So I think that, you know, diversity has kind of showed up as a very big thing as of late mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of people have been asking for it. So people mm -hmm. will kind of give it to you any way that they can give it to you, you know, to yeah. say, hey, we, we met this diversity quota that shows that we're either woke or that we care about the needs of people who don't look like us. I'm talking about white people at this case, in this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll put a lot of, you know, quote unquote, people of color and other people, minorities um, mm -hmm. on screen. And that shows that we care. And so right. to these viewers and these people who play games and things like that, mm -hmm. they can go back and they can say, well, you know, um, they did, they are representing women. They are representing black people to some extent. Look, there's, a, there's one yeah. black character right there. I guess it's also like people want to see themselves reflected in something that they're consuming. Sure. Um, and it's hard to think about, like you might have similar personality traits to somebody, but you're still like not really like seeing yourself actually mirrored back. Yeah. Um, which I think is important, but also I wanted to ask you about the you know idea of changing somebody who's like in. Well, I'll just use Sam Wilson, uh, who's a uh, uh, new Captain America. Um, sure. As a Falcon, I mean the original Falcon was a white guy, and for the movies and more recent comics comics he is a black man mm -hmm. um how about how do you feel about that um as a way to kind of like is it or is it kind of similar to what you were saying earlier about kind of like placating and um making it seem like people really care but it might there's still work to be done yeah i i think it's more of the second one but i want to elaborate on that mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I think that it's um so I, I talk about this quite a bit when I talk about Black media stuff. There is this trope that I call the Black carbon copy trope. That's my specific mm. term. And it's it's kind of similar to like tokenism, but it's a little more flushed. Mm. Um, I think that with the Sam Wilson character, I think that he's been exposed to a lot of tropes, but the biggest one I see is the Black carbon copy trope, which can be broken down into two places. One place that it can be broken down to is into what I call mantle passing. And then mm -hmm. the other one is what I would call um, just a, a race swapping. So okay. when you see a race swap, that's when you don't change the personality, you just change the race, but they're the exact same person. Right. Mantle passing is when a black character is um, taken from the origins of a white character. And there's a lot of similarities. They try to change up and try to etch out a few things so that it looks a lot different. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what they did with Sam Wilson. And I don't care for that because... What it does is it leads to what I call a lack of originality. That's the big heading here for mm -hmm. what, um, you know, the Black carbon copy trope will fall under. There are so yeah. many things that you could do with a Black character, but what you choose to do is to try to make him a sidekick or a carbon copy of a white character and almost like, like, a, like a, what I call a great value version of that character. Like, you know how you go to okay. Walmart 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, get, you got the yeah. craft cheese, you got great value. Yeah. That's what Sam Wilson basically, they're making him like he's the great value version of Captain America. I don't like that. Um, and as far as, I think you said something about pe seeing people on screen who are, um, are black and people wanting to see somebody who looks like them. I understand that, but we have to be able to have self-esteem as well too. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? So we have to be able to want to see people who look like us, but are properly portraying us with no tropes or no disrespect that's added. And that's the part I think that people are leaving out is how are how is this disrespect? How are these tropes? How are these things showing up and still impacting mm -hmm. the way that we are visible on screen? Mm -hmm. Did you happen to see Falcon and the Winter Soldier show yeah. when it came out? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So how do you feel like they handled it there then? Because they did um, try to add more about mm -hmm black history i mean they made a reference to like the tuskegee experiment um and that sort of thing so how do you feel it seemed like to me it was trying to give him more of like a carving out sam more of a carving out of like this is him like without captain america steve um and he's kind of finding his own his own self almost how do you feel like that show handled that because there could it have done better or Mm -hmm. um was it just okay or like what are, what are your thoughts so I actually I, I like that show first of all I want to start mm -hmm. there like I thought that it actually was a good show some people kind of were iffy about it um as far as the Sam Wilson character I still didn't really like care for the direction that they were going because to me that was just them flushing out the whole mantle passing thing okay the, the character that I did like is Isaiah Bradley he's the yes. character that really spoke to me there yeah Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because everything that he said to um, Sam that day where um, like he was upset, like he was at his house and he was talking about how yeah. no self-respecting black man would even right. want to hold the mantle as Captain America. Right. I like that because mm -hmm. what what he kind of represents is almost uh, without like the, the brutality that a lot of people don't like. He represents mm -hmm. Killmonger, which, by the way, Killmonger is my is my favorite MCU character. Okay. And. He kind of represents that type of like vibe to uh, like a little bit, you know, yeah. almost yeah. almost like Spook who sat by the door esque type. And mm -hmm. the reason why I I like that character is because I think that he represents that person who has seen the truth, who has seen the the way that um you know America really is. And mm -hmm. Sam represents that character who wants to be able to go into these um these like spaces that are white and be able to try to change things up and to say hey I, I made influence I made I made an impact by doing this by doing that and yada 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 and now you know all that the history of like racism and all that that's not necessarily gone but you know I've, I've made a change he kind of represents that for me he's almost like it's almost like watching representation versus um ownership which I've always talked okay. about ownership so much better and so much more important than um representation because of this idea of having the autonomy as a black person to right. be able to control the narrative instead of trying to find a way to erase like the terrible history of something. That's the right. thing I didn't like about Sam. Now, mind you, Sam as a character and all that, I, I mean, he's cool. I just, yeah. I just, that, that little line of kind of tokenism still kind of just sits and develops for me though. Yeah, it's a hard line to walk on because I feel like he was mm -hmm. also trying to represent what America could be or maybe should be. Sure. 
But I don't know if we'll maybe get so, more of that in the movie that they're doing with him with New World Order, um, where he'll be like, you know, the main focus. Um, and I I know um, Isaiah is coming back as a character in that as well. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. what they're going to do. I haven't heard anything about the script or anything. All I know is it might come out in 2024. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. But I also really liked the show. Mm -hmm. um i appreciate that it was mostly black writers um mm -hmm. and um but you know i don't know and maybe thinking about that how do you feel about like these shows that are headed by a black uh writing team or black director producer that sort of thing of like mm -hmm. you know having the story centered around a black character Sure. Um. So the I I feel two sided about this. Like okay. it's a, it's a double edged sword for me. On on one end, it's good because anytime that a black person is able to get their paper, anytime mm -hmm. a black person is able to find the success that they want, is they mm -hmm. be able to soak some game up and be able to get themselves out there where people recognize them. I'm all for that. I am totally totally all for that. I want black people yeah. to succeed. Um, you know, I'm not going to say in any way that they can, but I want yeah. them to be able to succeed in doing something constructive. Yeah. So for that, I'm going to have to say that I'm with you on the idea that I like the fact that there's visibility in certain Black writers who are showing mm -hmm. how talented they are. I think that's mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. However, here's my issue. It kind of goes back to something I was saying a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. If that Black writer is on code, that is the main thing that matters to me. If that Black writer is not on code, then all of that talent, all that, it, it kind of goes beyond deaf ears. Now, I understand the idea of kind of playing the game, playing on the inside until you can get your weight up and say, hey, you know what? Guess what? I got y'all. I got, I um, I'm have my own empire now. Like I learned all this mm -hmm. stuff from y'all, like, you know, playing your little games and all this other stuff. And now I got my own empire I made and I can put black people on the map and right. make and have this code of conduct. I understand that. So I understand like the, the planning and that type of thing. But at the same time, I worry about like the, the, the code of conduct and the appropriate behavior of the individual who is the writer. So I guess I say right. that to say the one part of me is happy because I love to see black people succeed. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. Another part of me is like, is that black person on code? Are they not? And a lot of times it kind of shows itself after a while. Yeah, unfortunately, I also wonder how much space they have to or are allowed to have because these institutions are still right. run by, by white people for the most part, mm -hmm. I, maybe for all the parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I also wonder how much space they have to do that. And, you know, I don't know if it's like because we have you know, cinema has been around since like 1890. So, and mm -hmm. it's been like white up until like maybe the 2000s. Yeah. So this might also just be something that we're still trying to work out and more people need to just speak up. And then also we need to support these places or these uh, entertainment companies that are doing the work. And, you know, because it's... To so many people, it's just like a numbers game, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And even with like uh, Black Panther, we had to show 
so many times that we were willing to have an all black cast and it could succeed like sorry I'm a little frustrated <laughs> <laughs> sure I, I totally yeah. get it and yeah. you know I, I wanted to actually com comment on what you just said there yeah. um I think that with the Black Panther movie I that was first of all that was my favorite movie but mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons that were different than most people mm -hmm. um what I noticed is that that movie was almost spectacular on accident. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. I'm going to explain what I mean. That movie was, in my opinion, if I had to give that a rating right now out of 10, I would have gave that movie probably about a nine and a half if I had to give it something. Yeah. And I love that movie because mm -hmm. what it did was not only did it have Killmonger, but I think the, the plans for Killmonger backfired there. Okay. Now, the reason why I feel like they backfired is because I think they were setting him up in a way where they were portraying a message. I think that was a whole message there. The message yeah, was, sure. yeah, the message was, um, look at this Black American man, because he represented Black American. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look at him. He'll, he'll, he'll kill his ride or die. He'll, um, betray, he'll kill his own people. Mm -hmm. He'll um, basically want to have these selfish motives. So they wanted to portray him in this light, but it backfired because people started, you know, really analyzing, really looking at some of the things that he was doing. And they were just like, man, like this dude actually is like Malcolm X with combat abilities. Yeah, you cannot. I feel like a lot of the villains in these movies are kind mm -hmm. of put in a box and yeah, um, a lot of like, you can't put Killmonger in a box. He's just so multifaceted and Absolutely. has a lot to offer and a lot to say mm -hmm. and you know so did uh Chadwick Boseman you know make yeah. the rest of his, his character right. I think that that's why I love that movie because there's just so many layers to every character and I think mm -hmm. they at least did a good job with that mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to next at the time of this recording it's a couple of days before right Honda forever comes out so sure yeah. sure 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 yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, I, I just think that the movie, like, it, be, because of that factor specifically, I think that mm -hmm. Marvel was expecting to get everybody to hate that character, and it yeah, polarized people instead. It didn't happen that way. And I love that because it was the first time I saw, hmm, they just, add, this is the first time I've ever seen a layer of pro-Blackness, mm -hmm. like, blatantly added to, like, right. anything that was in the comic realm, like, blatantly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what I loved about that. Mm -hmm. no so yeah. did you happen to watch um uh what if yes on I did. plus okay how do you feel like they handled his episode where he was the one who saved tony stark and then spoilers i'm sorry anyone who hasn't seen it but he saved yeah. tony stark instead of tony being kidnapped by the uh mm -hmm. uh, middle eastern i'm i'm not sure so i don't want to be incorrect um by said bad guys <laughs> in that desert and then later when he's part of the um guardians of the multiverse and then his whole plan to kind of take over kind of got uh put forward i i'm not sure if like i'm not sure he didn't really have, like we had already seen his message by that point uh when the, the uh that show came out but I don't know. I feel like they might have been trying to put him in a bit of a box there 
mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. this like evil villain who just wants to take over the world and that's not necessarily his main motivations but i mean it's a it's a multiverse so it could be that killmonger's mm-hmm. motivation but after seeing his motivations and um mm-hmm his whole kind of whole personality in uh black panther you know what did you think about that yeah no that's that's a very good question um what i was gonna say is when i saw the uh the what if episode with killmonger i actually loved it personally i thought it was mm-hmm. great um yeah I yeah. thought it just furthered the visibility of who he who he was and what he was really mm-hmm. about well, he was I don't think that it was love too yeah, yeah. And even his quotes were on point too, especially like yeah. when, right before he had killed Tony and he was like, the difference between you and me is that you don't see the difference between you and me. I love that. Right. That, was, that was incredible. That was good. That was yeah. good. Yeah. Now, and then when he ended up killing um, Rhodey and T'Challa as well. Yeah. I think that was a really important moment in his character development for sure. I agree. Um, I was going to say, I think it just furthered the messages. That's why I was cool with it. The mm-hmm. only I was gonna say, actually, the, to be honest, I, I have been rooting for his character to succeed in What If when I find when I found out that they were doing the yeah, episode, yeah. and then yeah. in that that final episode where he got all the Infinity Stones, I was like, yes, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, this yeah. is what he was fully capable of, you know, he yeah. could do all that, and then they literally shoved him in like a spear, mm-hmm. not a box, but a spear. I was going to get to that. I was going to get yeah. to that. Okay. So that's the part I didn't like. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you yeah. why I didn't like that. Yeah. The the messaging is what I didn't like there. Cause Marvel threw out a message at that point. Cause I, I was cool with everything up until then. The thing mm-hmm. I didn't like was I felt like the message they were trying to say was look at Hydra. Cause they had him and this Hydra dude fighting each right. other, like in this, in this like bubble. And they were like encapsulated it. What they were trying right. to say was look at this Hydra man. He has this white power almost mentality. He represented white power at that point. Because that's kind of where it started almost. It did. Yeah. But, what, but when they put Killmonger in the bubble with him, like he was fighting him, it mm-hmm. almost as if they were equating this idea of I'm fighting for white power and he's fighting for black power and equating mm-hmm. like that level of hatred, like mm-hmm. as it's the same. I didn't like that. I did not like yeah. that at all. Yeah. I didn't like that very much. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I yeah. get it. Okay, I mean, yeah, literally, the guy was the the doctor. I forget his name. Zola, that's it. Zola, yep. the computer pro- as a computer program who could destroy Ultron, but then ended up being like, "Oh no, I want to take over," and like, "Now I have this suit, and I can like go out." And then Killmonger's like, "No, this is my plan." So then they clash, and then immediately get like. What is it like, Doctor Strange? Like, it like throws them in this thing, and yeah. then like they're like forever just going back and forth. Like that says something about like the forever going back and forth between those two. But it was also just like, oh, okay, so they're just nope. they're just the evil guys who got to go away so that the the uh, the the good guys can you know move on to the next thing. Yeah, kind of thing. And yeah, I also kind of like it. While we still have a little bit of time, a little more Marvel stuff. Did you happen to watch Loki? I did. Okay, so how do you feel about Jonathan Major's character? I mean, he kind of laid it out as, sorry, spoilers for that show too. <laughs> this takes place, this is, I'm talking about the final episode of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he laid it out as like, you know, you Lokis are villains and this is your only purpose is to help the good guys who are like opposing you get to where they need to go. And then you just stop here and your journey's over. You don't get to like grow and do anything. And I think that that's so fascinating also Mm -hmm. about talking about like Killmonger is like, I feel like Killmonger could have done so much more Mm -hmm. and they could have done more with his character, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. he has to be stopped or else like, Mm -hmm. Panther can't move on to the next thing and it's always like this kind of cycle and you know talking about what if that made me think of that is like mm-hmm. well we have to put these villains here so that yeah. they go away and then we move on to something else I mean how do you feel yeah. about that yeah so to address each part of what you said um mm-hmm. first of all I love Jonathan Majors as an actor I think oh he's yeah great. he's great He's incredible. He came out of nowhere. Love he did. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he did. I agree. I yeah. agree. It was great. Um, mm-hmm. I thought his portrayal of this Kang the Conqueror-esque type of character that he's mm-hmm. eventually going to be moving into, I thought mm-hmm. it was great. Um, yeah. If you look at the show Loki, one thing that I, that anybody can pretty much notice if they're really paying attention is that the majority of the characters in the show were Black. And mm-hmm. I thought that that yep. was, you know, I thought that was pretty yep. cool. Um, and it's interesting because there was this there was this meme that was going around social media. I don't know if you saw it, but um, it basically said something like um, Loki is just a show where you uh, where the, the female Loki is just a Karen who had an issue with a black owned business. And so I, I thought about that, that and I was like, hold on, man. I, <laughs> I didn't think about that. that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I did pick up on. I made a joke about that being, I think I did it in our episode where we reviewed that. I was like, I was like, oh, the TVA is a black owned business. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought, I thought that his portrayal was cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was cool that they had so many black characters um, in this show. The only thing that I didn't like about the show specifically was that like some of the black characters felt like they were incompetent or like they were like, not necessarily like the best morally. And that was kind of weird to me. But outside mm-hmm. outside of that, though, there I thought that um, having Jonathan Majors in that role as King the Conqueror and having all these other people around him who were basically like being subservient to him and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. I thought that was yeah. kind of cool. I thought it was a cool concept personally. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think there was a lot of um like power in that. Um, now, as far going back to the whole Killmonger thing and then the Snow Globe thing, I, I think that the thing that people need to kind of see is that like the symbolism directly relates to basically a- equating the KKK to uh, the Black Panthers? I ain't like that. That's 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 the main thing. Oh, I, no, yeah, I, I don't like that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I ain't like that. I mean, it's that good versus evil again. Yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Or even calling them both evils, you know? Okay, yeah. You know what they I mean? have their, they have their, their like. They're on opposing sides, but they each have their thing, quote unquote yep. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, that's that's what I was seeing. So I'm like, hmm. So you mean to tell me that people who did off- offensive, terrible things to people are equated to the people who reacted to them? Hmm. Okay. Right. That's what right. I saw. Yep. Just a reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. thing up here we've been talking for a while this has been a great discussion thank you again so much for coming on i wanted to see if you had any final thoughts um but we also like to give our 
listeners' recommendations. So if you have a recommendation for something you'd like to share with our listeners, that would be great as well. Definitely, definitely, definitely. As far as books go, I want to talk about a book I want to uplift for a sec. Um, okay. So, or two books. Yeah. So I think that the the thing that I want my or the audience to kind of like focus on here is to look at the messages and the things that you watch and look at how that impacts or if that is disrespectful or if that was is constructive to the plight of black empowerment. And mm -hmm. I think that the only way that you can understand if you're not off code, that is the only way that you yeah. can really understand that how this shows up and what this is, is to, is to really understand how white supremacy works. That's the bottom line. So the two books that I would encourage you to read, which I have either read or are currently reading, are The ISIS Papers by Fra uh, Francis Cress Welsing mm -hmm. and Foundational Black American Race Bader by Tariq Nasheed. Those are the two books that I would recommend right now because they show you a lot about how that shows up because it shows up in a lot of different areas of activity and media yeah. is so, so, so important for Black folks right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is for sure. All right. Well, thank you so, so much again. This has been a great discussion. We're definitely going to have to have you back. Yeah, um, I would love to come back. about something else. Yeah, because you have so many great ideas and I'm excited to check out your book. Um, please tell the people where they can find you on social media. Most definitely. So you can find me at, at Colas Creative. And I have a website as well, too, creativecolos.com. And uh, a same tag on Twitter as well, too, if you want to find me there. So those are the main places I'll be. Okay, great. Thank you so much again. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Blurred on the Street. If you like us, be sure to follow us and give us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back with another episode soon.